Today is our second message in a series that we're calling Honest with God. And the book of Psalms is full of all kinds of expressions to God that are, I mean, totally honest, totally transparent, uh, almost to sometimes brutally honest with God. And last week we said, you know, that's okay because God already knows what's in our heart. And it's healthy for us. And it's an act of trust in our relationship with him when we can express to him exactly how we are feeling. Today is Psalm 109, and it deals with the topic of anger. Uh, have you ever told God that you're angry? I mean, have you ever poured out from your soul anger to God and expressed to him how you are truly feeling on the inside? It is so therapeutic uh, to do so to cry out to the Lord. Psalm 109 is a psalm that reflects the anger of an individual rather than the anger of an entire nation. A lot of the psalms are directed toward God on behalf of God's entire people, but this one is about one person who is very, very angry with his enemy. And therefore, it's very personal. And I think it's a reminder to all of us today that God hears us individually as well as collectively. Something that I think is an expression to God of our uh, belief in his reality, is when we are able to cry out to him out loud. I don't know if you're like me, but if you have a lot of alone time in the car, for instance, you know, maybe what would it be like to pray to God out loud? No one else can hear you. And if the person beside you drives by and sees your mouth going to town, just really pouring it out to God, that's okay. They'll just think you're on Bluetooth. <laughs> But pour it out to God. Tell him what you're thinking. And in so doing, you're going to be healing your soul by pouring out your honest feelings to God. But you're also going to be communicating to God, demonstrating to him that you believe in his reality. To be in tune with the psalmist's anger, we must remember that this was before the new life of having a gospel to impart. We know that we are to love sinners. That we are to forgive those who do us wrong. We know to allow God to be the judge and not us. We know to do everything that we can to win our enemies over to the Lord and even to pray for them. We're told to forgive our, our brother when he sins against us. Not just 70 times, but 70 times 7. And that doesn't mean 490. It means don't keep track of how many times you forgive a brother. We're told to forgive our enemies. Uh, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Derek Kidner in his commentary writes, David, their chief spokesman, gives proof enough that his passion for justice was genuine, not a, a cover for vindictiveness. There have been few men more capable of generosity under personal attack as he pro proved by his attitudes towards Saul and Absalom to say anything to Shimei. Of him, and no ruler was more deeply stirred to anger by cruel and unscrupulous actions, even when they appeared to favor his cause. All right, to kind of set the stage, we'll look at the first five verses here as an introduction for us this morning. Verses one through five of Psalm 109 says, Be not silent, O God of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. And so they reward me with evil for good 
and hatred for my love. But even in the New Testament, there is a righteous anger. When you think of the New Testament, we, we, we imagine and remember Jesus on the cross and how he was able to look down from the cross and he was able to see his, his crucifiers and he was able to cry out to the Lord, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they, they do. But even Jesus knew that there was an appropriate time to display anger. In Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I heard about a couple who had been married for 60 years, and someone asked them, What's the secret to your, to your longevity of your marriage? And, and the husband said, Well, we never go to bed angry. To which his wife replied, we haven't slept in years. <laughs> when Jesus entered the temple and he saw the money changers taking advantage of poor Gentiles who couldn't afford the supplies for sacrifice, he overturned their tables. A very dramatic scene in which money probably spilled everywhere and, and doves were set free. And he, he cracked the whip and he drove the money changers out shouting, you have turned my father's house into a den of thieves. And you can hear in his tone, how dare you? The same Jesus who said, forgive them, for they know not what they do, knew that there is a time for righteous anger. When the anger is about injustices, the New Testament warmly embraces what Christians refer to as righteous anger. Sometimes, quite honestly, I don't think we're angry enough. I think we've become too passive as followers of Christ. And when we see injustices being done around the world or even close to home, sometimes we look the other way and we say, well, live and let live. <laughs> That's not my problem. We have no business meddling in that. We'll just let the injustices continue. And sometimes we're too passive when our fellow human beings are sold into slavery around the world and right here in Indiana. We turn our heads and we reason, well, that's not our problem. When the poor are hungry or homeless and they're being taken advantage of, we think, well, someone should do something. Someone who has more time or more resources or more power or influence than I should do something. Maybe the someone or someones is us. And maybe we need to become more of a voice for those who have no voice. Verses 6 through 15 of Psalm 109 give us a rather <clears throat> gruesome, uh, definitely at least uh, PG-14, uh, outcry to God, calling down God's wrath on every part of his enemy's life, including his children, his wife, and even his mama. <laughs> and on and on. He even asked that his enemy's prayers would be received as sin. Wow. I mean, he was really upset. Verses 16 through 20 give us the background for his anger. His enemy has become a ruthless agent of suffering to weakened people. Verses 21 through 25, they describe his own suffering and his downcast spirit. But it's a nice segue to the final section of the psalm, verses 26 through 31, that offer us four ways that our anger can help us become better instead of bitter. Being honest with God about your anger allows you to become better, not bitter. Does no good to bottle it all in. 
One of the first things that we need to do is we need to turn our anger over to God. Verse 26 says, help me, O Lord, my God, save me according to your steadfast love. So after calling on the Lord and asking him to be present, asking him to do something, and talking about the kind of, the kind of uh, anger that he had toward his enemies and sparing nothing, holding nothing back, and transitioning from that into talking about the pain and the suffering that they had endured, then we had this nice segue Help me, O Lord, my God. Being honest with God about your anger helps you to become better rather than bitter because you don't bottle it up inside and you don't act all Pollyanna and act like nothing's wrong and that you have no problems and that you never get upset and you never get angry about anything. Be honest with God. When was the last time that you spent time in prayer and you just poured out to God how angry that you are, either because of injustice is done to you or because of injustice is done to other people? When was the last time that you cried out about that? Anger has quite a, a, a stigma among Christians because we're supposed to be even-tempered and we're supposed to turn the other cheek, but sometimes there's a time to be angry. My favorite episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. Remember the Everybody Loves Raymond series? Do you remember the episode that was titled The Angry Family? <laughs> That's my favorite episode. If you're, if you're not familiar with it, basically the whole family, and of course it would be the whole family, right? Grandma, Grandpa, Uncle Robert, Mom and Dad all go to the twins. Uh, I think it's their first grade class. And they're going to hear them re read from a book that they have, they have written on construction paper. And, of course, Frank, the grandpa, he's, he's grouchy about it and doesn't want to be there. And he's mumbling things. We leave after this. And he's even making comments about some of the trendy names of the, of the other students in the class. And, and when finally their own grandson gets up there, good, we leave after this. And he announces the title of his book in front of all the other parents and the teacher. The Angry Family. And the camera pans in on this picture of the entire family, extended family, listening to this. And you see the look of shock on their faces. Oh, no. What's he going to say? The mommy was mad at the daddy. <laughs> the daddy was mad at the mommy. <laughs> and then the grandpa laughs. <laughs> and it says, the next line is, they were both mad at the grandpa. And you see Frank go, and then they said, the grandma got mad at everybody. And Marie Barone lets out an involuntary, I did not. <laughs> it's wonderful, she says to the other parents and grandparents in the room. When it's over, we see the scene of them walking into their kitchen, and they're all moping. And Marie says, I can't go there anymore. <laughs> you go to the elementary school a lot, Marie? Anyway, they come in, I can't go there. And the looks I was getting, I never got looks like that before in my life. Frank says, you ought to watch me more. <laughs> And they kind of go back and forth, and they banter about this. And finally, Uncle Robert says, whole? The whole family? Where was I in that book? And, and younger brother Raymond says, what, are you offended because you weren't offended? And I mean, this whole thing goes on, and it gets funnier and funnier. And before long, everybody's angry with everybody else, and they're all mad with everybody else. And whenever the son comes into the room who wrote the book, they say, they say, hi, everything's great. <laughs> we're not angry. <laughs> no. Eventually, it culminates into a, a meeting with the teacher and, and then finally the school therapist. 
And as they're sitting there meeting with the school therapist and so forth, they're encouraged finally that they need some professional help, and they're all going to read the same book on how to raise healthy, happy children and overcome anger. And the episode ends with the little boy coming in and then saying, we're so glad you wrote your book. We learned a lot from your book. It was actually really good. And he goes, oh, I love that show. And they said, show? What show? Monster Maniac. They're always angry and always yelling at each other. And then he leaves the room. <laughs> Raymond throws the book up in the air, grabs the remote control, and turns the television back on, and away they go. <laughs> Sometimes that's the way we want to do with anger, though, don't we? Shovel it under the carpet. Pretend like it doesn't exist. And not ask for God's steadfast love. The second thing that we learn here about ways in which we can become better instead of bitter by turning our anger over to the Lord is, number two, use God's blessings to reflect his goodness. Psalm 109 verses 27 through 28 says this, Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but you, but your servant will be, will be glad. Listen to what some of these verses say about our role as followers of, of Christ and how we should stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Micah 6.8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. James 1.27 is one of my favorites. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. A couple of weeks ago, while looking at the story of the fishes and the loaves, we read where the disciples encouraged Jesus to send the crowds away because they noticed that they were getting hungry and they wanted them to be able to go where they could find and buy food. And so their solution to Jesus was, send them away. <laughs> Send them away, Lord, that they might go and find something to eat. And Jesus says to them, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And when you and I say someone should do something, Jesus would likely respond to us as he did to his disciples that we are the someones. They don't need to be sent away. Someone else doesn't need to do something. You need to do something. You be a voice for those that cannot speak for themselves. The gospel of Jesus redirects our anger, but it does so through the cross. We should still be outraged over injustices, and our anger should cause us to seek a redemption and a recreation for the oppressive and freedom for the oppressed. It does not, however, excuse our indifferences. If you're looking for ways that you can, that you can get involved here locally, I'd encourage you to Google purchased.org. An Indianapolis-based ministry, and click on the About tab, and they'll give you a, a concise background about the, the ministry that a lady in Indianapolis founded. She was outraged the year that the Super Bowl was in Indianapolis, which was a wonderful thing that we were all very proud of and, and happy to have. But there was one problem, uh, and that was, it was the week was full of human trafficking. 
no other time uh, in, in the course of a year in, in, in America are more people victimized and taken advantage of with modern-day slavery than they are during the Super Bowl. And that's tragic and that's unfortunate. But so many of us, me included, focus more on my hot wings and my Mountain Dew or whatever I'm going to enjoy that evening, the party I'm going to have or I'm going to attend, than I do being a voice for those who have no voice of their own. But here's the ministry, here locally, that you can get involved in and you can find out ways that you can partner with them and you can make a difference to help end it, to end modern day slavery. If you're looking for ways that you can make a difference around the world, I would encourage you to attend the March the 7th Hope for His Children mission trip presentation from 4 to 6 p.m. right here in this, in this room. And we'll get to hear from, from several people, some of them from our own congregation, that will talk about the experiences that they had this past week in Ethiopia where they partnered with people to give hope for children some of those children live on the streets. And some of the partnerships that they have are with street missions that deal directly with kids on the street. To me, that's a highlight of, of the ministries that are done there, where at least for a little while, these, these young boys are brought in from the street, and they are fed, and they are taken care of, and they are, they are given a, a shirt to wear that makes them feel good about themselves, and they, they're, they're empowered, and they hear the gospel, and they get to take part in, in vacation Bible school-like experiences when groups like the group that just went go over there and spend some time and invest in them and teach them how to overcome the risk that they are, and to find safety and security. You can make a difference. You may say, what can I do? All I can do when I, when I hear a message like this is feel bad about myself. No, there's something else you can do. My goal is not that we feel bad about ourselves. My goal is that we would get involved and that we would do something and that we would help stamp it out by being, by being an agent for change. But it requires us to have some righteous anger and to use God's blessings to reflect his goodness. Verses 27 through 28 say, Let them know that this is your hand. You, O Lord, have done it. Let them curse, but you will bless. They arise and are put to shame, but your servant will be glad. The hand of the Lord gets the credit when God's people become a voice for those that can't speak for themselves. Christian people should be outraged. When unborn babies are put to death, all in the name of choice. I mean, we, we should speak up about that. I should feel ashamed that I don't speak about it more from this pulpit because it's a hot potato topic. No, I should speak out about it because the Bible talks about murder and it is sin. And I find it, at my age and stage of life, very interesting that a child can be born premature and be in, in, in the NICU unit of a hospital. And if you went into that NICU and harm that child, rightfully so, you'd be held accountable for it. How complicated that is to understand that we use a different kind of mindset for those that can't speak for themselves. <laughs> we, should, we should take action, and we should do something. Now, there are some bad things that you can do that cause more harm than good. 
It's one thing to support a, a, a young mother who makes the right and difficult decision and to buy pampers and to support uh, missions that can help them become a better parent or to, to make good choices that fall in, in line with choosing life. The wrong thing to do would be to go and to bomb an abortion clinic. <laughs> that doesn't do anything except join in, in the sin. We shouldn't be seen as angry. We should be seen as loving life and loving people and accepting everyone, no matter what kind of a situation they find themselves in, because we are all sinners saved by grace, those of us who are born again into Jesus Christ. And when we see ourselves as that, when we're filled with his Holy Spirit, we begin to see everybody through the lens that God sees them in, and we want to help them, not judge them, not drive them away, we want us to love and support. One final way that turning our bitterness over to God can make us better is that we give thanks to God. Look at the way Psalm 109 wraps up. It says, With my mouth I will give great thanks to the Lord. I will praise him in the midst of the throng, for he stands at the right hand of the to save him from those who condemn his soul to death. I will praise him in the midst of the throng. Give thanks to God for what you have despite the, the things that make you angry. Praise God in the midst of the storms of your enemies. David said in Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> a feast in the presence of my enemies. God is the one who does it and who makes it available. Acknowledge to God that you are aware of his presence with you when you are being mistreated by others. Can you praise God in the midst of suffering at the hands of other people? That is a great testimony and message to the world when we are able to say to God, no matter what other men do to me, I will still praise you in this storm. We are not alone in the fire. We're not alone as we wade through the deep waters. Our Heavenly Father is with us, and He shines the brightest when we endure hardships and we, we become better, not bitter. But the choice is ours, whether or not we will become better or bitter as we go through it. This was a complicated message to prepare. When I read the first five verses of Psalm 109, after I'd pretty much committed myself to preaching on it, I thought, whew, where's the application in this? <laughs> but I hope that we will see that, that our God allows us to be angry when we're angry in the right, right way for the right reasons and at the right time. When our anger turns us to, to loving action, not to bitterness and judgmental uh, remarks, but, but one that actually draws hurting people in. Other sinners, just like us, but with perhaps other sins that are different than ours, but we, they know that we love them. They know that the church is a safe place. They know that this is a, a hospital for the hurting, not a haven for the perfect. And that the reason that we come here, it's not because we are being hypocrites who think we've got it all together and that we're good enough to come to church. No, we know that we, we are followers of Jesus Christ, born again into him, who are still messed up still have problems and still get angry and and we accept one another just as he has accepted us so my prayer this morning for all of us is that we'll become better not bitter by being honest with god about our anger 
and by asking him how we can reach out in a loving way, in a Christ-like way, to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you, Lord, that you, you called me while still a sinner. I thank you, Father, for everyone in this room who knows your Son as their Lord and Savior, God. God, I, I pray for those who, who maybe don't have that relationship with Jesus yet, and perhaps they consider themselves a so-called seeker, that they're still checking out the claims of Christ. God, I pray that your gospel seed would take root, uh, Father, in their hearts, and that God, like the rest of us who know that we, that we are imperfect people, but that Jesus, your Son, is the only one who is perfect, that God, they would allow you to have your way in their lives. And God, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified by all of our emotions. Uh, Father, the, the joyful ones, and yes, even the angry ones. That, Father, that, that we would never forget the cross and the price that Jesus paid, that we could be considered redeemed by you through the blood of the Lamb. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.